Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm M. Clark, and this is another bit of bonus audio. Uh, yesterday, as this podcast comes out, I was a guest on Tony Esmond's Never Iron Anything podcast, a comics review podcast by Tony Esmond. He's been a guest on this podcast a couple of times, talking about the Rock of the Red titles, and also is a member of the Awesome Comics podcast, which I highly recommend. And yesterday, he and I were talking about Fantastic Four 51, a key issue from Stanley and Jack Kirby's run on Fantastic Four in the 60s. And one of the things that I got interested in was who owns the original piece of artwork for the first splash page of Ben Grimm, the thing, from memorable image of this man, this monster. And I got in touch with a chap called Mark McDermott, who is lucky enough to own that piece of artwork and uh, this is the brief interview I recorded with him about how he came to get the piece uh, and what it's like to own such a famous piece of Jack Kirby artwork. So a little bit of bonus audio. I will put the links to Mark's website and his comic art fans uh, gallery in the show notes along with links to Tony Esmond's own podcast and the Awesome, awesome Comics podcast. Uh, so enjoy this little bit of extra bonus audio. So I'm delighted to be joined uh, down the line by Mark McDermott. Mark, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for doing this. I'm going to get straight to it, Mark. You own the first page, the title page of Fantastic Four, issue 51, from cover dated June 1966. I'd like to give you the background on that. That, um, I was a comic collector for... um, I think I started when I was 12, so that would be 1975. Right. And I I went to school for uh, engineering, chemical engineering, and I kind of gave up comic books because you had to focus in on your on your academics. And I came back into it when I started working for Kodak uh, in 1988. And for the next nine years, I uh, you know was going out to San Diego Comic Con, and I didn't have an older brother, and I I didn't get to communicate with a bunch of other guys in the hobby, uh, kind of like a soul um, force back then. And I did not realize, and it's one of the few regrets in life, when I was going through San Diego, because you didn't have a lot of vacation time at Kodak, I would try to go to San Diego in the first day of my vaca- my three-day vacation, and then I would go off to Vegas or somewhere else. So I'm running around San Diego trying to look at certain comic books and I didn't realize Jack Kirby, you know, was right down the hall. Oh, right. Yeah. So, so that, that, you could that have met him. Bad one. Yeah. So this is uh 1988 through 1996. I was doing that. And, uh, I moved, I left Kodak and went to move to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And, uh, just before I made that move, I was talking to one of my, uh, collector friends and he mentioned during the conversation that he would like to get some, um, uh, about six or seven golden age comic books I had. And I said, you know what, let me move. I'm moving out to Milwaukee in the next month or so. And we'll, we'll talk then. And I called him several weeks later. I'm like, you know what, if you want those comic books, I could do it now because I think it's crazy that I'm having these people move my whole life in a big Mac truck and something could happen. Yeah. So let's get you those comic books now. And he says, Oh, I wish you would, I wish you had, uh, I, I've already bought some of those books in the last month. I wish you had done something with me back then. And I also bought some artwork. And me being as naive as I could get at that point, I go, what did you get, like a Picasso or something? <laughs> he goes, no, no, I, 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 I got comic artwork. 
and I'm doing, uh, I've got a pretty good memory. I'm doing the conversation as it took place. <laughs> so right. with all the enunciations and the, the pauses, I go, comic artwork, that stuff exists? Oh, yeah. From like the Silver Age? Yeah. Where do you get some of that stuff? <laughs> because, well, Tr- Christie's East is having an auction next month in New York City. Oh, uh, how do I how do I get in touch with it? Well, just now, uh, here's the consultant's name, Joe Manorino, and uh, give him a call and, you know, try to get a catalog and, you know, maybe you can even go out there. So that's what I did. He sent the catalog. Uh, again, being a scientist, I'm looking through the whole catalog like it's a forensic scene. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. You know, there's only two, there's two things that are unbelievable in this auction. The Spider-Man 8 complete, all 22 pages from Ditko, and the FF51 splash page by Kirby and Sinnott, this man, this monster. And I had read all those stories as a kid, and I was a professional photographer from 15 to 23. So, so think of Peter Parker, where you're getting paid. So that was a strange combination, but it was a perfect storm because I was not married at the time and I had excess money as an engineer and I had the photography image background and I remember the stories like I read them yesterday. So I was looking at that catalog going, you know what? It's $40,000 they want as their reserve for the Spider-Man 8. I didn't even know this stuff existed. I don't have 40 grand of disposable income set up. Uh, but that FM 51, ooh, that's probably the best piece ever done for what that page means where they all went up into space that day and they were all enhanced. But there's the thing. And he's screwed for life in that image. (laughs) That, that, (laughs) That shows you the tragic nature of that character. You could not portray that better where he's standing there in the rain all alone. Yeah. So, so I just, uh, I dressed up in a three piece suit. I, I, you know, everybody looks like they're going to the beach or somewhere or a convention. (laughs) There's about 350 people I'd say in the audience and the only thing I did wrong, I thought, was my first auction I had ever. I'd never been to a, a flea market auction at the time. And I sat about halfway uh, down the aisle on the right side. And it was lot 88, I believe. And I was just uh, getting nervous, but she probably couldn't tell it. And I could still see the lady. She's in a brown uh, suit. And I'm trying to get her cadence down because I was thinking, well, maybe, the again, I had nobody giving me pointers. I think maybe I'll just wait in, until the very end and then bid because if I bid early, maybe I'll be bidding against myself. So, um, so it was estimated six to eight thousand, which I thought it was priceless. And uh, the the bidding was just about ended. She was just about to gavel at home at eight thousand, and I raised my paddle for the first time. And she noticed me and she goes, "Oh, we got a new bidder down front, nine thousand. Can we get ten thousand? And there's nobody bidding, and I'm thinking to myself, can I be this lucky? Can I, can I be this lucky? There's, there's no way I'm going to swoop in here and get it for this, am I? And somebody bids way in the back. Oh. And all of a sudden, the crowd is murmuring. Because at the time, if you want the data, the average nice Kirby splash was going for 2500 or so. Right. So here we are at 10000 which is over 11,000 with the VIG, and I immediately put up my paddle, uh, so I'm at 11,000. And she's just about to hammer it home, and there's another bid from the back of the room. I immediately put up my paddle again, but that was my pre-auction estimate that I would, the highest I would go to. 
because I didn't want to get emotional. Sure. Uh, so I went to thir- I went to thirteen thousand, and it's the longest period of time I played a lot of sports as a kid. I was uh, more nervous in those next few seconds than I've ever been. And uh, she goes, go in once, go in twice, and then like an extra hesitation, and then she hammered it home, and the place erupted. Wow! Like the like the Super Bowl was just let out, and it was not the price because these guys are used to you know auctioning off millions of dollars of art. It was the it was probably the contrast between me and the rest of the crowd. <laughs> I was acting like I was watching grass grow. And the rest of the crowd was acting like, you know, they had just won something big. Right. And I didn't realize it. And it's probably because they, a lot of them had Kirby artwork and it just changed the whole art market for Kirby because it went for five times or six times the average splash. And so she stopped the auction and she addressed me and she says, either you have a lot of friends here or people just like to see you spend money. <laughs> and people laughed People laughed, and I still didn't change expression. <laughs> I, I just was inside thinking, I can't believe I got it. I can't believe I got it. So what's funny is, to me, um, that piece was my childhood. Uh, when I first uh, saw a comic book, uh, it was just after my first comic book. I was in a hospital, and I had my tonsils out. And my mom came in with the Treasury Edition that gathered, you know, the coming of the Silver Surfer. Oh, yes. Number two, yeah. white cover. Yeah, so so um, so I just put a piece out probably about five months ago when Joe Sinnott passed away because I met him. So I never met Kirby, and I felt you know really bad about being naive and not knowing he was there. But I'm down here in Charlotte, and I went to a Heroes Con 2005. Seems to ring a bell, and uh, somebody said to me almost just like that when they told me that the comic artwork was out there, and I was. I was like uh, ecstatic as soon as I heard that. <laughs> Somebody says, hey, did you know Joe Sinnott's here today? And I go, what? <laughs> Joe Sinnott's here. No way, is he? Yeah, he's over there in Artist Alley. So I go up to him, and he's got a line of, of, of people with comic books long before there's, there's a slab. Uh, these are just regular, you know, open comic books that look like they're fine or VG. And he's signing away. Like, like he's watching, you know, uh, uh, a golf match or whatever. And he's saying hi to everybody. And I'm just standing at a distance. And I finally approached him and I shook hands with him, both hands. I've never done that in my life before or after. And I was just so happy to meet him uh, because I kind of had a rough childhood. And these guys, Kirby and him helped me, you know, think of, you know, hopeful things in the future by reading those stories. And we became really good friends. We probably spoke every five or six weeks. And for that first two years of speaking to him, I never brought up artwork at all as far as like, um, you know, uh, are you still doing it? Do you have anything to sell? We just talked about baseball 90% (laughs) of the time. And he told me that he was in the on-deck, or he was near the on-deck circle at Yankee Stadium as a little boy, and Babe Ruth is there. Wow. So we're going through all those stories. So so 2007, San Diego Comic-Con's the next day. And I'm trying to get off the phone with him, and I just go, Joe, so, uh, yeah, it's great talking to you today. And, uh, you know, i got to let you go because I, I haven't even started my preparation for the trip tomorrow. I'm going to San Diego Comic-Con. Oh, you're going to the con? Yeah. Could you do me a favor? What's that? Could you tell Stan, meaning Stan Lee, could you tell Stan that the paper he sent me, uh, it's, uh, you know, not taking the inkwell. 
<laughs> the paper he's sending you. What's he sending you a paper for? Are you still working? Oh, yeah, I do the Spider-Man strip national. <laughs> I go, oh, I had no idea. I thought you retired like 20 years ago. <laughs> so so we, he did a commission for me eventually, but I, and actually I, I kind of got out of the artwork for a while. But um, that's the one piece that I've held on to uh, where I, I had this Kirby Silver Surfer with Doc Doom's face in the background. All pencils. It's the third piece I ever bought at auction, and it was owned by Graham Nash of Crosby, Stills, and Nash prior to. Right. Uh, at a Sotheby's, I think, 1998. And so I eventually gave it up, but I made a gicle out of it, which is like a $100,000 piece of equipment. The scan takes about 30 minutes, but it looks one for one. And I just thought I'd keep that, you know, because I've sold the piece. And uh, so I said to Joe at one point when I got back, I go, would you mind uh, doing a light box ink version of that? He goes, no, Mark, I'd love to do that. <laughs> so I sent it to him, but I feel like I'm going outside our friendship. But we talked the next few times over the next six months. I don't want to bring it up because it's almost like a, an assignment versus our just being friends. Sure. So, so eventually he mentions it six months later. Mark, I finished that. Oh, okay, cool. But I've got to tell you, that was the hardest thing I ever did. What? It was the hardest thing I ever did. Are you kidding? No, the, 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 the ink didn't take well to that, to that board. Joe, you didn't, you didn't ink the G-Clay, did you? Was that what I was supposed to do? No, you were supposed to do a light box. You know, I can send you another one. No, no, I'm done. <laughs> so when I, when I got it, I was stunned by how... What a great job he did. So, so when he passed away, uh, you know, I was heartbroken. Uh, there was, uh, you know, all those guys. I met uh, Ramita Sr. All those guys are great guys. You know, they did it for the love of it. Obviously, they didn't do it for the money. Uh, but they, um, when he passed away, I just noticed how a lot of people were talking about what they owned of artwork of his. And I just felt like, you know what, I need to take the time and put together an article on what he meant to me, because he meant so much more to me growing up, you know, than the artwork I had from him later on. Uh, so I, I put that out probably about four, four or five months ago. But I mean, the, you know, going back to the FF51, um, it's one of those rare pieces where it seems to lie outside you know, what, what most people look at for comic art, Sure. you know, Hey, they're, they're battling this guy or whatever's going on over here. You know, and I think it, it really, um, it touched me as a kid where I was kind of a loner and that's kind of what you see in the, in the image. I, I said on comic art fans of my, where I had it, uh, listed that that's where, that's where he still resides. That's where the character resides in my mind in that one window yes. from the past. It must be the most famous image of uh, the Ben Grimm, the thing, in comics history, and you own it. Yes. What, what's yes. the piece itself like? How big is, was Kirby's artwork? 18 by 23, right. thereabouts. And as you say, inked by Joe Sinnott. Uh, and the lettering is on there as well, I guess, by Artie Simek? Uh Yes, yes. But going back to the part I forgot, so when I introduced myself to Joe, and we were talking for a few minutes... I have the image on my business card or my hobby business card, whatever you want to call it. Sure. Where I had simply the best. And so I go, Joe, this is the first piece of art I ever bought. And I show it to him. <laughs> he goes, oh, my God, I remember doing this like it was yesterday. So I felt like I gave him a little joy that day. 
Well, it's an incredibly uh, evocative piece of artwork that you own. I mean, what does it feel like to own this, you know, this most fa- one of the most famous Fantastic Four pages of all time? I felt like I, I mean, at the time, not years later, I felt at the time that I, you know, all these knowledgeable people were in the room with me, you know, probably about 350, and I had no idea 30 days earlier that the stuff even existed I felt like I walked into Fort Knox and walked out with the gold. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that they were unaware, you know. I mean, a lot of people like battle scenes, a lot of people like, you know, first appearances or what have you. But that's right after the uh, the coming of Galactus, um, you know, arc too. Yes. Yeah, it comes straight story, after that story. That story means so much to so many people because it went outside the normal story line for a comic book. Where you know some something uh, some personality that that has a touch of evil, you know, in its last moments of of life, you know, saves saves somebody that's noble, and that you you don't usually find that in a comic book, yeah, or you at least didn't back then. It's an absolutely beautiful image, and what a wonderful page! You're so lucky to own it. Um, you've got. Yeah. I'll put a link to your comic art fans gallery because you have got. Uh, a Ditko page, you mentioned Ramita Sr., John Busema, uh obviously Joe Sinat. Um You've got some great artwork on there. Barry Windsor-Smith, well, I know noticed. I'll leave, you, I'll leave you with this. The, um, I created a website because I was kind of out of the field for a while. Uh, I created it last January, uh, just before the pandemic, uh, and it's called Earthshine Studios. Yep. Uh, dot com. And... Um, Probably 2017, June 28th seems to ring a bell. I had gone through the entire catalog for Profiles in History. They were having an auction. And again, I treat them like forensic scenes. <laughs> yeah. So it was like five and a half hours to go through every item. And I'm not normally a Hollywood memorabilia type of person, uh, but that's kind of what they key on. That's their niche. So I went through the entire catalog, and I came around... And almost just like when I saw the FF51 or the Alex Ross pieces that showed up at uh, 1999 Sotheby's with the uh, UNICEF charity, uh, the last 12 pieces, uh, the last 12 pieces of the auction, but 12 pieces from Peace on Earth. Uh, so, so with the um, with the uh, catalog, I went through, and I had just invested in something else heavily, so I really didn't have a lot of money on me at the time. I said, "Ooh, these these five pieces from Star Wars." These have to, there's an opportunity here to grab something of history. And so I would, and you'll probably see it on Earthshine Studios, at least one of the two. Um, Tom, Tom Chung, the artist for the movie posters, uh, he's 92, I believe, right now. He, back in 1976, or maybe it was early 77, before the movie, obviously, uh, he had his wife and his son dress up like uh, Leia and Luke. And the famous image where he has the the movie poster type A, where he has the uh, Luke has the lightsaber over his head. Oh yes, that's his son and his wife posing for that. Ah. So the preliminary watercolors to that movie poster were available, and they were estimated two to three thousand, and they went for thirty six thousand that day. Wow! But I was able to acquire them. So so I kind of really value the history, and uh, and and what items mean or what the image means and i think my photography background probably helps a little bit uh so 
show that FF fifty one, the um the uh Star Wars painting. You you can see some links to that probably better on Earthshine Studios as well. I'm looking at that uh, image now on your website now, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, as long as you're uh, Comic Art Fans Gallery. Fantastic. Yeah. The, nice, the nicer one has, has the star background. I, I don't really show that one because I really like to keep that one if I can. Sure. <laughs> and of your comic book art, is it still your first page that you bought? Is that still the sort of pride of your collection? Yes. Uh, uh, again, I think a lot of things... Um, we all get into hobbies or things, but that's what really, I think we form a lot of our, of who we are, you know, early on in life. And then we get refined through time. That really was my way out of a tough growing up. <laughs> yeah. uh, that was my, um, the innocence, you know, and it really was innocent then. I, now it's more about media and hype with the movies and things like that. Uh, but back then it was a more simple time. And that's what I think, you know, most of us hold dear. Absolutely. And, you know, as you say, what a wonderful thing to own that piece that was so important in your childhood. It's fantastic. It is just one of the most yeah. uh, gorgeous Jack Kirby images. And I'm delighted that it still exists and that you uh, you managed to acquire it. Yeah. Congratulations, yeah, there's, Mark. Uh, there's not a lot of pieces left out on the open market for Kirby. And anytime something comes up, I always try to uh give it a shot but um but yeah to have uh, you know to me that's the key piece out of all the pieces but obviously the covers and other things are you know people find uh just as special if not more from a monetary standpoint yeah but there's a certain as you say there's a certain emotion in this page that is uh, yeah. so powerful um, yeah. Yeah, I mean you you really uh, the the characters I I grew up liking a lot they all have one thing in common, <laughs> the, the thing, the Hulk and the silver surfer. They were all loners, right? You know, Hulk was always looking for a friend that Cracker Jack Jackson story from 182. I think it's 182 or 183, right? Uh, Hulk 183, where he comes across him and he teaches him how to write. And then they, then, then he brings him to see his son, his son's in prison and he dies in the issue. And that was stunning for me as a, probably like a nine year old, uh, to see that, you know, occur in a comic book. And, um, and you see the Hulk bouncing away out of the prison with, with his, with his buddy and he buries him and you see him with his tongue out and he's, the image is of his face, but he's got his tongue out and it says he's trying to write or something. He's, he's using his own finger into the stone. And as he bounds away, you can see where he says, my friend Cracker Jack Jackson, he's got the case backwards uh, on his name. But I just thought that was, you know, that was the connection you were looking for as a kid, you know, uh, to be, you know, accepted or whatever into the world. I was kind of a nerdy kid. I mean, I did play, play sports and I was, uh, you know, tops in my class from a male standpoint. There was two girls ahead of me. But, but that made you feel like, you know, these guys have connections. The Silver Surfers out there. And he's kind of screwed as well. <laughs> he's he stuck on Earth, and he wanted to roam the cosmos or be with his love and and the thing. So they all kind of three of them didn't have, and that's what really Marvel outdid DC with. Marvel gave you characters with flaws that you could see yourself in, where DC was more like 
let's speed up this villain and move off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they didn't really go into the characters as well. Mark, we play this game on the podcast, the Grail Page game. If you had another comic book page that you would love to own, what would it be? Sure. Uh, the first page of the sur- Surfer in FF48. There we go. Perfect. The first page that he appears. Fantastic. Mark, you've been yeah. so gracious with your time. I'm delighted to hear how you came to acquire the piece. Uh, what a fantastic story and what a fantastic page. Yeah, anytime. I, I love talking about the stuff. I don't get to talk about the stuff as much as you go later in life and you get more responsibilities. <laughs> but it's always <laughs> nice to revisit the past. Thank you so much, Mark. Uh, it's been an absolute Thank pleasure. Take, take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. And thank you very much to Mark McDermott for that interview. And thank you for listening to Mega City Book Club. As ever, find all the details, including the links at megacitybookclub.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, the 2000 AD forums, or by emailing me mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time on Mega City Book Club, when we're passing judgment on another great book, it's goodbye from me. Nice.